0: And so with that, that, uh, that vampire becomes my favorite vampire on the planet, even above Count Chocula. <clears throat> so one of the challenges that I like to think, hope to think, that most of us wrestle with on some, on some level is, is, what, is it, what does it mean to live the good life? And I don't mean the good life, like you have everything and cars and houses and so forth. I mean the good life. And I think, I believe, I hope that most of us who name the name of Jesus as Savior and Lord ask a very similar question, and that is what, is, what difference does it make for us to follow Jesus? What difference should it make if we follow Jesus in terms of how we live our lives, the choices we make, and so forth? And really, that's a major question that I think Jesus is trying to answer in his life and his teachings throughout the Gospels. And when we talk about uh, the good life, we talk about doing good, we're not talking about doing good in order to get something out of it. We're not talking about doing good in order to earn God's favor, God's love, God's acceptance, not at all. We're talking about doing good in response to God's goodness to us. And so we ask a question. What is the proper response to the grace of God in Christ? What is your proper response? What is my proper response to the grace of God in Jesus Christ? And the next Three weeks leading up to Thanksgiving and the season of Advent, we're going to dive into this question of what it means to live a good life, the good life, in response to the the goodness that God has shown us in Christ Jesus. The good news we're going to celebrate uh, this week and in the coming weeks is this. In Christ, we can have the good life. In Christ, we can have the good life. The phrase from which we get our preaching series uh, this this season uh, is one that most of us have heard or have used one good turn deserves another. It dates all the way back to the 1400s when the word turn didn't mean exactly what it means now. It meant deed. One good deed deserves another good deed. So if someone does you a favor, a good deed, then you sort of owe it to them to return the favor in some way. Much like the little boy did in that video, he had received a good deed. He received candy in his, in his uh, trick-or-treat bags because of the generosity of others. <clears throat> and in so doing then he came to uh, a house that had none and he returned the favor he gave candy where there was no candy now when I was a kid we only had trick-or-treat uh, buckets that looked like pumpkins or pillowcases those are the two things so I happen to think it's incredibly cool that we get a black panther <laughs> now If I could just be a kid again So we have this good deed that is done and this return of the good deed that is done. And so we begin this series with an understanding of something important. That whether we know it or not, whether we like it or not, whether we believe it or accept it or not, the reality is that God in Christ has done a good deed, a good turn for all of us. Christ became one of us. Christ lived among us. Christ taught us how to live a kingdom of God kind of life. Christ died so that we might experience forgiveness of sins, that we might live an intimate life with God forever. And Christ gave us, God gave us in Christ the, the Holy Spirit to dwell within us to enable this life. And This very good turn that God has given us deserves another. In Ephesians chapter 2, we have what is probably one of the uh, most loved passages by followers of Jesus down through history and around the world. Uh, the Apostle Paul reminds us, begins by reminding us that of uh, and his readers, that from whence we all came. He says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the king of the air, the spirit who is now working work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the crazings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest we were by nature deserving of wrath." We were in a bad place. We were in a bad place. We were deserving of wrath, Paul says, but then something good happens. But because of, this, of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved And we love this passage. We love it because it tells us the good news. It tells us all that God in Christ has done for us. He has saved us, and this is nothing of our doing. We haven't earned it. It is a gift that God has given to us. It is a gift. As I've said before, however, the way you and I understand gifts in this day and age is not exactly how people in Paul's, the Apostle Paul's day and age understood gifts When he chose, when the Apostle Paul chose the word grace to describe some theological reality, he borrowed the word from his culture and his language at the time, and in so doing, he imported its meaning into Scripture, into the theological discussion, and into the discipleship discussion. Paul didn't invent a word. He borrowed it from the language and the time in which he lived, which is all he had to work with. And by doing so, he imported that word's meaning into Scripture and into the theological and discipleship discussion. What the words give and grace and favor meant then matters now. What those words meant then matters now as we try to interpret and apply these things to our lives. And in the ancient world from which Paul came and from which Paul drew this word, to be, this word to, to, to be given a gift by another person, then came with an obligation to return the favor. Now, it would be easy for us to say, then it's not a gift then. There's strings attached. It's not a gift. But that is to infuse Paul's words, grace and gift, with meanings from our day and culture, and that's not really fair. Paul is in his culture. He uses that word. We need to see what that word meant then. From Paul's point of view, Paul's culture, Paul's day and age, to receive such a gift means that we have an obligation to live not according to the flesh, not according to our normal way of living, but to live according to God's Holy Spirit instead. Therefore, Romans chapter 8, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. And so this gift comes with an obligation, Paul's word. This is why, according to our mission statement, our mission statement ECC doesn't stop after the first phrase, to know God. That's good news. That's great. That's grace. It has two other phrases. Also, follow Jesus and pursue God's purposes in the world. Why? Because one good turn, the grace of God shown to us in Christ Jesus, his life, death, resurrection, one good turn deserves another We see this even in that beloved passage from Ephesians 2, for immediately following Paul's beautiful and encouraging words about the gift of God's grace, our salvation by grace through faith, immediately following that, Paul uh, begins to talk about, he points toward the response that you and I are to give back to God, our obligation. For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. That's where we were before. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Is the gift free? Yes, the gift is free. For there is nothing we have to do to receive it. We cannot earn it. It is given to us freely. The gift is free, and it comes with an expectation. It comes with an obligation. That what we have received, that the good turn God has done for us in Christ will result in another good turn, good deeds done by us in step, in harmony with God's Holy Spirit. That takes us to our main passage for this week and the coming weeks in this brief series of sermons on how we are to live. Again, from the Apostle Paul, we read in 1 Timothy chapter 6, "...command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain." but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Once again, in Christ we can live the life that is truly life. We can have the good life. Now, it's no overstatement at all to say that these three verses are packed with both theological and practical truth. This morning, however, we're only dealing with two phrases in verse 18. We're dealing with command them to do good, The rich command the rich to do good, and to be rich in good deeds. Two phrases. Paul is writing to Timothy about what was apparently a problem in the church he was serving, which was in Ephesus. There were rich people who had come to faith in Christ They had come to know God, as we would say, but they hadn't yet fully figured out what it meant to follow Jesus and to pursue God's purposes in the world. They had received candy in their trick-or-treat bags, but they refused to hold it lightly and give it away when they came upon a place that had none. You guys sit so far away. It's really hard for me to be gracious to you. Though my arm is getting stronger. Oh, that was terrible. Here. Oh well. We don't have all the details as to why these why these rich people aren't doing and in what ways they're failing at their faith. We don't have that. We just have Paul's instruction to Timothy on how he's supposed to deal with them. Command them. Command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds. That is they have been shown a good turn in the grace of God in Christ Jesus, and that good turn deserves another, namely for them in how they treat their neighbors, in particular their neighbors who are not as fortunate as they. They have candy in their trick-or-treat bag, and some, some, uh, someone else is out of candy. We're going to try this again on this side. It's just my bad side. Here we go. Here we go. Oh, Lisa, there we go. Here you go. Come on. Wake up. nobody Victor no Renee no too far oh look at that okay we save some for the next service we see this in other places in the New Testament in Jesus sermon on the mount we see another practical outworking of this these good dudes that we good deeds that we do in Jesus name you are light of the light of the world he says a town built on a hill cannot be hidden Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. When you and I respond to God's goodness to us by doing good to and four others, our neighbors, the light of the good news of Jesus begins to shine ever more brightly, and ultimately, it draws attention not to us, but to our Father in heaven. It brings glory to God, and it brings people to Christ. Our good deeds bring glory to God and lead people to Christ. Our good deeds bring glory to God and lead people to Christ. Or consider Acts chapter 10 where the Apostle Peter speaks to the household of Cornelius, a Gentile, and he describes Jesus' ministry this way. He says, you know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good. He went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. It is in the very nature of God to do good. It is in the very nature of Jesus to do good. And if it is in the very nature of God and Christ to do good, then it ought to be how we live our lives too. Why? Because Peter tells us elsewhere, in first, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, that uh, we share. We share in God's divine nature. Why is that important? Because that's how we show we enjoy the good life. That's how we share in God's divine nature. And in doing so, we go out and do good. In Hebrews 10, the writer begins by celebrating all that God has done for us, and then he moves on to exhort us to return the favor. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter into the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, since Jesus has all of this for us, that we can enter into this relationship with God a little further down then, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Love and good deeds. Getting back to our original text in 1 Timothy 6, Paul's words are directed toward the rich. While most of us in this room would likely not consider ourselves rich, when our average or our median income here in Lafayette is compared to the rest of the world, turns out we are filthy rich. Statistically, the median household income for the city of Lafayette is $39,378. $39,378. That puts us in the top 0.59% of the richest people in the world. This part's funny. That makes you the 35,444,298th richest person in the world. We are one percenters. More shocking, perhaps. More surprising is, even if we happen to have an annual household income that is uh, is at the poverty line, as the United States government would define it, of $25,750 for a family of four, we're still in the top 2% of the richest people on the planet. you want to plug your own actual net income in and find out how rich you actually are, we put the link to the globalrichlist.com in your Bible app live event. Now the truth is, maybe we don't feel rich. Maybe we don't feel rich. And that's fine. In reality, however, it doesn't matter whether we are rich or poor because that's not the point. What Paul commands of the rich is for all of us. Rich, poor, and somewhere in between. Why? Because we have all received the goodness and grace of God in Christ Jesus, and we need, therefore, to return the favor. We need to be rich in good deeds. That is the kind of wealth that matters in the kingdom of God's economy. That is the life that is truly life. That is the good life. Earlier we took a look at the Apostle Paul's words in Ephesians 2 where he told us that our salvation was a free gift. Our good deeds do not earn us God's forgiveness. And you can see how someone in that day and age or even today might hear that and begin to think, oh, then I guess good deeds don't matter. Let's just sit back and relax and enjoy ourselves. And that is likely what James is dealing with in his letter when he writes in chapter 2, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Can you hear the argument? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by actions, is dead we begin with the reality that we are blessed that God has that God has done for us the ultimate good deed in Christ Jesus he has saved us he has filled us with the spirit he has promised us eternal life with him and that good turn on God's part deserves another good turn on our parts so in the coming weeks we will indeed talk about finances and possessions but this morning the word the good word is about deeds Is about the way we live our lives, the way we love our neighbors as we love ourselves, or fail to do so. To fail to do so is to have a faith that is dead, James, the brother of Jesus, would say to us. Now, he is not saying that if we do not do good works, we are no longer saved. I don't think that fits with the larger theology of the New Testament. He is not saying that if we do not do good works, we are no longer saved. He's saying that if we are not rich in good deeds, our faith has no life in it. It's dead. It's not good for us. It's not good for the world. And it's not appealing to anyone. Or again, going back to Paul's words to Timothy, he is to command the rich to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. Why? Because in this way they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so they may take hold of a life that is truly life. In other words, so that they may truly live now and in the age to come. If we do not return the favor of God's goodness to us in Jesus, so to speak, our faith may save us in the end, but it is dead in the meantime. It is dead in the here and now. We're simply not experiencing all that God intends and wants For us in the here and now, and we're not then fully engaging in our third touchstone here at ECC, which we've been talking about the last few weeks, presence. We're not bearing the fruit of the kingdom of God in the world that God has called us and equipped us to bear. We're missing out on true life, and we are hindering our neighbors from discovering that life as well. We're not living as those who have been sent into the world as agents of change and redemption. Put it another way, if we want to be fully present in our world, in our community, in that 97% of our waking hours spent outside of ECC, ministries, context, and so forth, if we want to be faithfully present, we'd better be about the business of doing good deeds. We'd better be doing good deeds. Let us spur one another on to love and good deeds in these walls And beyond these walls, let us be present in the world, to the world with love and good deeds. Stewardship is not only or even primarily about money, friends, it is about what we do with the whole of our lives. And that includes possessions, that includes our money, yes, but it also includes our relationships, our jobs, our time, our abilities, our skills, and the way we treat our neighbors. The good that we do in the world. So what is our response to be to this good news that in Christ we can have the good life? To that question, that what is the proper response to the grace of God in Christ Jesus? The simple answer is that if Jesus has made a way for us to live out the life that is truly life, then our response to do as Jesus says, that's what we should do. Enjoy that life. Enjoy the life. Our response is to seek to live the good life, the true life. And so on a practical level, we ask ourselves, who are my neighbors and how can we do good? How can I do good for them? Who are your neighbors and how can you do good for them this week? Maybe it will be someone you know and love very much, a spouse, a child, a parent, a neighbor. Or maybe it will be someone you don't even know. Maybe you'll pay for someone's order in the drive-thru who's behind you. Maybe you'll pick up trash on someone's front lawn as you're walking the dog. Maybe you'll shovel a driveway, watch children, or send over a meal for someone. The possibilities are actually quite endless for good deeds that we can do. And yes, these good deeds, these good turns are indeed all about our presence in the world, but they're also about our transformation. Another of our three touchstones. Because doing good deeds will gradually, over time, remake us into Christoform people. People who live out the image of Christ in the world. The one who went around <coughs> doing good. Even if you're at the grocery store and you see a shopping cart that's a stray shopping cart, put it back in the corral where it belongs. That's a good deed. It's a small one, I'll grant you. But learning to do that, maybe it's not going to make anybody's life that much better that you did that, but it will transform you. It will slowly over time begin to remake you into a person who goes about doing good, a Christoformed person, There's a prayer in the Book of Common Prayer that Kim and I pray on most days, and I'm going to invite you to pray it with me in in a moment, and I'm going to invite you to take it with you and pray it in the days to come. It is a prayer that both acknowledges the good deed that God has done for us in Christ in showing us His mercy, and it calls upon us to live lives of gratitude and action in response to that mercy. It is a prayer that God will make us aware of His mercies so that we might show forth his praise in how we live our lives and in how we respond to God's mercy in Christ. The prayer is also in your Bible app live events. Now, I know some people have a reaction against pre-written prayers. I want to say two things about that. One is, well, I'll say three things. One is the Psalms are pre-written prayers, and we seem to have no problem with that. Two is if, if you have problems with the prayer, I'm going to invite you to try it anyway, because here's the reality. When left to our own devices, we usually pray the same things all the time. So if we read and we use a prayer that someone else has written, we find ourselves praying something else that might be on God's heart that we didn't think of. It teaches us to expand our prayer lives. And three, fine, write your own prayer. I don't care. <laughs> the prayer that you need to, you need to, you need to write a prayer or, or compose a prayer where you are praying that you would become aware of the mercies God has shown you on a daily basis and that you would live out of gratitude to those mercies. That's what we're after here. And finally, I'm just going to ask you, whether you're going to use this prayer later or not, this morning, pray with us, this written prayer, when we get to that. According to scholar Rodney Stark, the reason the Christian faith spread as it did was because early followers of Jesus pledged allegiance to him. They lived a different life. They lived a good life. They lived a more virtuous life than others in the Roman Empire around them. And by just about any estimation, life in the Roman Empire at that time was brutal. To put it mildly, neither women or children are respected, but Christianity promised a way of life that did respect them, that gave them status and gave them dignity. And then as women came to faith, they brought their children to faith, they led their husbands to faith, things spread. Furthermore, in the, in the mid-2nd century, the empire was hit by plagues that nearly decimated the population. And in that day and age, as hard as this is for us to to even imagine, it was not uncommon if someone in your household was sick that you would simply turn them out to the streets. You didn't want everybody else getting sick, and you knew there was nothing you could do. You just turned them out into the streets. But Christians came and got those people. Christians cared for them, perhaps sometimes nursing them back to health, or perhaps just giving them a good death where they were cared for. Also unimaginable is that it was... Not uncommon, if you didn't want an infant for whatever reason, you could let that infant, as it was legally called, death by exposure. You simply put them out on the streets and let them die. Christians swooped in and rescued these infants and raised them. They took the gift that Christ had given them, they received the good turn of God's grace, and they returned the favor. And in doing so, they discovered the life that is truly life, the good life. And others saw those good deeds. And others witnessed those good lives. And they came to a place of glorifying their Father in heaven. Or else you and I wouldn't even be here. That's how the faith spread. That's how it got down to us. And I believe this can happen today, too. When you and I become the kind of people who do good, the kind of people who take God's goodness to us, God's investment in us, and we offer a return on that investment to Him and to our world in love of God, in love of our neighbors, the world will take note. And there will be no end to what God can do in, through, and with us. In our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our community, in our world, and in our congregation. Who in your life might God bring into his kingdom because you have learned to do good in the world, because you have learned to return the favor and live a good life? Who in your life and your relationships might God bring into his kingdom because you have learned to do good in your world? You have learned to return the favor and to live a truly good life, the life that is truly life. As Peter says, 1 Peter chapter 2, live such good lives among the pagans. That though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. I invite you to join with me now in a time of just a moment of silent prayer as we invite God to show us where we might do good in the week to come. And then after a bit, I'll invite you to pray the prayer of thanksgiving that will be projected on the screens. Would you join with me? God in heaven, we give you thanks for this day. We ask that In this moment of silence, you would show us where we might do good this day, this week, and to whom we might do that good. and by walking before You in holiness and righteousness all our days. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom with You and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory throughout all ages. Amen. Oh God, help us to make good on these words that we have prayed. Help us to be sensitive and open to Your Spirit this day in the days and months and years to come. Make of us a people who so have received Your mercy and celebrated your goodness to us that we go out and return the favor by living good lives, by doing good deeds, by being rich in good deeds, all for your glory. And as we celebrate, Lord, all that you have done for us, we take this time to offer back to you a portion of all you have given us. We ask your blessing on our offering. Help us to do so, Lord, out of gratitude and out of celebration for your mercies once again. And use these gifts, we pray, to further your kingdom and to nourish it for your glory.